Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Firm. I'm here with Lance, luxury division psycho of Pella. Check it out. Check it out. I am your co-host, Alex Gore. I'm here to tell you about one thing and one thing only. What's that? That's 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 how you do your work, and you mm. do your work in Revit if you're an architect, or I guess some other ones. Whatever one is on uh, um, the Mac side. I've seen presentation at the International Building. So Archicad. Is that it? I, it was hard for me to say that. Not too not too shabby, actually. Honestly, they had some features. I was like, ooh, I wish I wish Revit had that. But if you are in Revit, like the majority of everyone else, yeah. And we just had someone who purchased it, said, hey, I've been working in Revit for a while, um, but I wanted to see someone else's system and see what I could take away from it. I said, that's that's brilliant. Like, even if you just took a couple things. Imagine learning from other people. Wow. Said you a long one. You listening? <laughs> oh, that's a foreshadow. Uh, take a couple things. Or even just like take like the way that we do our views, take some schedules, take some material, stuff like that. Apply that over the next 10 projects. It's gonna You're going to save your money. Like it, it, It's going to be easy. So if you want to go check that out, what we put together, what our firm actually uses, what students use, what at this point, maybe over 100 different firms use. Honestly, uh, go to RevitRocketShip.com. Check it out. And to fuel what you're doing in Revit, I want you to go check out Arcat. And check out their BIM content. BIM content should be free, and you shouldn't have to give up your personal data in exchange for it. That's what RCAT believes. That's what we believe. RCAT offers data-rich objects, families, and systems for free and without registration. To sweeten the deal, you can download these files in the last four editions of Revit in SketchUp format or DWG. Go to RCAT.com today to enjoy and enjoy the freedom. That's A-R-C-A-T.com and start building better content today. Uh, another place you need to check out, if you are an architect, if you are a designer, if you're a homeowner, if you are a developer, if you are somebody who is looking to take your project to the next level, I want you to go to check out PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. If, you uh, <clears throat> if you've never experienced a brand like this before, I'm telling you, you haven't, go check it out. The collection of brands within the luxury division of Pella right here are the conversation starters the pioneers of the industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects, the building industry, and beyond. They have decades of experience creating things no one else in the world is creating. And the collection of brands are brought together to complement on and build on one another. And I can't emphasize that enough. That's so. That's one of the things we're always trying to do uh, as architects and designers and builders, developers, right, is we're trying to create a cohesive project. Their products will help you do that, and they'll help you do it well. They don't push beyond the limits. They set them. Explore PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm today. There you go. Uh, this is you. This is me. I'm going to hit the old record button on the computer. And if you're watching on YouTube, you will now see my screen. So uh, I had a project. Uh, sorry, I was invited to a sort of a panel discussion, which is really interesting. Uh, one of uh, a developer that we are potentially going to be working with soon is also uh, has been hired by the city of Longmont, the city we operate in uh, generally, as far as where we're headquartered. And they wanted to get feedback from developers, uh, architects, landscape architects, engineers, anybody who's involved with uh, entitlement, the entitlement process. And if you don't know what the entitlement process is, there's another word for it. It's kind of a term for it. It's a site plan review process, meaning everything relating to the uh, placement of your buildings, whatever your development is going to be on that site, nothing to really do with the interior. And so <clears throat> we had an hour-long discussion, and the reason why we were having that discussion and why Longmont was open to the discussion is they've seen 
a litany of developments die in Longmont where we operate. And we've seen them all over up and down the front range. Yeah. And they want to know why. Like, why are developers, why do developers abandon projects? Yeah. That's the title of today's episode. So um, before we go into like some of the nitty gritty, like my, my general, man, I, I think there's two forces, economic forces yep. could shoot down whatever you're doing, right? But then the sales price, you don't have enough uh, margin on the project. Yep. Yep. Macro forces. Here you go. Right. But then there's micro forces where you bought a piece of land and uh, lumber and all these costs are X amount and you're you're barely making it and then the city makes a change and that change is going to make you lose 10 units uh make you pay a 10 percent fee uh make you build something that's going to cost hundreds of thousand dollars make you redesign something that's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars so there's like the macro the micro mm -hmm. And then all the regulations and everything too. Yeah. So <clears throat> what I'm going to touch on is, so uh, again, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see me pull up an article here. It's called, go so ahead. We didn't even talk about the cost of time. Exactly. The, the just cost the of time. Just the time. Yep. And we can get into that. Uh, so the, if uh, we've went over an article from um, NAHB a few times, right? So National Association of Home Builders. They do a great job of breaking down regulatory costs and what it adds to just a single family house. I think it's the easiest way to digest what it takes to, uh, it, it, everybody can relate to a single family house is what I'm getting at. So there's an article I pulled up. It's called regulatory costs at a whopping 93,870 to new home prices. There are homes you can buy for less than that, right? Uh, they might be in a crappy place or like a depressed place. Um, you know, the rust belt or something like that. But Five years ago, so in 2016, they came out with their original, NAHB came out with their original report on this. And so I want to just read a few things from it um, because <clears throat> they do talk about that, right? So to kind of, um, and then I want to go into, I'm going to go into, I have a, there's another document that they reference in this article where it talks about, it separates the, reg, the uh, before you break ground costs and the construction, the extra added costs during construction Due to, due to regulation, bureaucracy, all of that. One preface I want to give on this is that uh, we are not against um, protections in, a, in, in the sense of life safety, uh, building, building good communities, anything like that. But there is a certain point where it becomes so burdensome that people, um, that it, it makes it so that the market can't even function. Yes. Maybe that's the way to put it. Yes. Um, can I'll go off the rails just because that's what this show does a little bit. Did you see that there was a letter from, there are organizations, um, for every industry. There's an organization for the people that ship stuff on ships all over the place. There's an organization, sure. international organization, sure. right? Um, that, tra uh, for airplanes, for trains, the, uh, all the people that make the supply chain work, the shipping organization wrote a letter to the UN. Have you heard this? Mm-mm. And then every one of those other organizations signed the letter and said, yes, what, th what they just said is true. And they said, we are on the verge of utter collapse. And the, and the reason why is because of all these regulations that are coming out because of COVID. So apparently I didn't know this, but a lot of people that are on these boats are from the Philippines because like they're in the middle of the ocean. I don't know. Just seem that's just like one of their specialties, right? Makes sense. Well, they don't have a high vaccination rate, right? But they, they travel the world. And you can argue safety and all that. I'm not arguing that. I'm not, I'm not touching on that. I'm talking about just what they have to do in their day jobs. They'll get off in Hawaii and, or in different places, and they won't even be allowed off the boat, right? Or they'll be allowed off, and they can't even go into a grocery store. Yeah. And they're like, why am I doing... Like, I'm stuck on a boat, getting paid probably less than minimum wage here, right? or maybe minimum wage. And instead of going home all the time, I'm on a boat for months and then I can't even get off the boat. Yeah. Or if I do get off the boat, I can't even go anywhere. And that's just one of the litany of things, right? And what it uh, went to in my head was essentially like, okay, what if the UN and the US like makes exceptions for these people that are 
uh, conducting all the transportation systems. I'm like, oh man, how are you going to enforce that? How are you going to show that? How like it just the system is getting gummed up. It's getting gummed up, and so what Alex is talking about is pull up this article. It's called a uh, so a record number of cargo ships are stuck outside of California as ports can't keep up. Shipping delays and shortages will continue as America's supply chain continues to fail. Yeah. And so it's a different article too, but this is a great one. Yeah. You know. So so it's real. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers, and I know the fact checkers are hard at work. I <laughs> can't stand USA Today because they fact checked uh, a social media page that I help run that has like a million followers, and we've been fact checked from them. I've even shared it with Alan. He's like, "Wow, that's crazy." So so they just fact checked dozens of ships waiting off California yeah. coast. So is it true or false? Are they? So so basically now to, I, I hate giving USA Today a plug, but fact check dozens of ships waiting off California coast amid backup at ports. Uh, the claim, there are more than 1,000 cargo ships off of the coast of California that are not allowed to dock or unload. I hadn't heard that craziness. So basically no. a Facebook user shared a post on September 19th, several photos of the cargo ships, and then their caption was, y'all better get ready for some serious shortages, reads the caption. Um and so the claim is inaccurate, they say, right? Uh, because, and they're right. I, I had only heard that it was about 90 ships, but that's a lot. Well, it's funny in, in the, it, this is, um, they're showing pictures of yeah. like, I don't know, it looks like a bunch of ships. I was going to say a couple hundred, but what do I know? Um, so yeah, someone doesn't know how to count or estimate, And but there's still USA today then basically goes in and I can't see the dang article because we're not a subscriber of it, but USA or sorry. USA Today then uh, references, um, let's see here, the Times, uh, New York Times. Yep. Record number of cargo ships off of California coast shows a crack in <laughs> technically not it, a the thousand. supply chain. Yep. And yeah, so it doesn't, it, again, it won't let me read it. I guess if I zoom way out, it will somehow, which is funny. Ooh. Either way, uh, it won't let me read it. <laughs> <laughs> There are so there are cracks and it's all because of the gumming up. Okay, back to where we were at, I think. Yes, yeah, Al? Yes, yes. So, so so we've heard this number before. We went over this number before that uh regular Yeah. Yep. And and the the first number, it says forty one thousand is attributed to regulations during mm -hmm. development. And then I want to hit the time thing because it's like, okay, how yeah. much of that like So how basically is that of the ninety three thousand eight hundred and seventy dollar figure that is now five years later in the twenty twenty one study. Or that was released in 2021. I think they did in 2020. Of the $93,870 figure, 41,330 is attributed to regulation during development and 52,540 is due to regulation during construction. So I'm glad they made this separation too and that it kind of ties into what we're doing. From the article, while NAHB's previous regulatory estimates in a 2016 study were fairly similar, the price of new homes increased substantially in the interim. While applying these percentages to census data on new home prices, the data show an estimate that regulatory costs in an average home built for sale went from 84,671 in 2016 to 93,879—a 10.9% increase during the five-year span between 2016 and 21. So again, remember we talked about uh, previous episodes this idea that the inflation is transitory. That doesn't seem very transitory. When's, when's the last time you've seen houses severely dip? Yes, it was during the Great Recession. Um, but uh, there was also different kinds of layers of, an, of um, bubbles. government. <laughs> bubbles. Government-led bubbles. Yeah, right? The, the lending practices were much more less stringent than they are now. Now they're very stringent. Um, we've already talked about all that stuff. So <clears throat> to kind of get to the brass tacks, Al, now I'm kind of switching here to the this other pdf that is referenced mm -hmm. and it's it's the actual numbers are you recording this for people i am yeah, i am recording that. this yep so so basically out of this article if you're looking for um the pdf that i am uh adding to it, at the bottom here it's uh, just click on view the full study on the cost of regulation from this article so and you want to skip to f page four uh four fifteen so Regulation during development. This is directly from their study. Uh, table one shows uh, estimates of regulation as a percentage of both lot costs, final house price, uh, yada, yada, yada. And, it, and if you look through it, right? <clears throat> so um, the first significant interaction between a developer and government usually occurs when the developer applies for zoning approval for housing to build on a particular parcel of land. 
Most developers, 98.1%, reported regulatory costs at the zoning approval stage. Regulatory costs imposed at this time can include fees directly paid to a government, as well as requirements for environmental impact, traffic, archaeological, or other studies. Averaged across all lots in the study, these costs account for 6.6% of the price the builder pays for the lot, which translates to 1.6% of the final house price. All developers in the survey reported incurring regulatory costs after obtaining zoning, but sometime later in the development process. This may include costs for of complying with, for example, requirements to mitigate environmental impacts as well as actual fees, governments imposed impact, utility hookup, and other types of fees when the site work begins. Averaged across all lots in the study, these costs account for 12% of the builder's lot costs, 3% of the final house price. And I, I un, one thing I think we should keep in mind here is I can't remember what the so let's just let's just play a game and say that the average house in Boulder, for instance, costs a million dollars because it does. And if I take three uh, percent of that, just to cut some brass tacks here and see what it costs, like that's a thirty thousand dollar increase just yeah just from the development side. Well, so I we're doing a a. Deck so three percent is nothing to just scoff off what I'm getting at. No, but this is what's crazy. This is what's crazy. We're doing a deck and a porch, and his total budget is twenty thousand dollars for this, right? And then my fees, and then we need a surveyor, we need topography, all this stuff. He's like, Alex, I'm already getting to half, half the cost of the of what I have for the whole thing. And I go, I'm with you. This is all of this is super unnecessary, mm-hmm. super unnecessary. Mm-hmm. We're doing another one in Boulder County where um, it's huge land, it's over 100 acres. Uh, multiple times in the pre-app meeting, he said like, oh yeah, yeah, uh, archeological, there's nothing. There's this one little corner that apparently there's a map overlay on it that touches it, but you're on the hill, you're not even close. But go ahead, send them a letter, tell them what you're doing, get approval from them. Multiple agencies where it was like, yeah, this isn't gonna be an issue, isn't really gonna affect anything. Go ahead, send them a letter, go through approval, it's like, holy cow, that, that adds up our fees. And then it adds up like, because it's not like all these places, some of them will see it and just go, yep, that's fine. No big deal. They're going to ask questions. Yeah. So it's not just you're like, you're like, you're pouring money into the government. It's you're, you're doing that. Plus you're adding all the time and the expenses of, for the professionals that have to help you get through the hoops. Okay, back to the uh, PDF here. Also common, reported by 95% of developers, are requirements to dedicate land to the government. Example, for a park, or otherwise leave a portion of it undeveloped, open space. In these cases, the developer must pay for the land, but is not allowed to derive revenue from it, driving up the costs on lots that can be developed and sold, right? They lose a unit, Al. Maybe they lose two. On average, these requirements account for 11% of the price of the lot or and 2.8% 2.8% of the final house price. So now we're starting to add, right? We're probably up to almost double digits increased costs per house just from the development side so far. But this is also what's crazy too is like <clears throat> those costs do not go down proportionally. They go down somewhat proportionally. Meaning that, what was that number? 40,000? Yeah, about For, 40K. 40K per house. For a... uh. Three, uh, a five hundred thousand dollar house. Call it five hundred. Okay. A twenty thousand dollar porch, ten k in fees. Yeah, the proportions. You know? <laughs> the proportions are skewed. That's a great point. Yeah. Uh, local government. Let's see here. Local governments often require that new development conform to community design standards. These may include specific requirements for lot size and design, sidewalks, landscaping, etc. The survey specifically asks about standards that go beyond the ordinary. For example, in the absence of regulation, the developer is still likely to provide some landscaping. The study assumes a design standard imposes no costs unless it requires a developer to provide landscaping or something else that costs more than the developer's ordinary practice. A large share of developers, so not the majority now they're saying, but get this, 85.4% reported being subject to design standards that go beyond what they would ordinarily do and add to their costs. But Lance, they're just doing shitty developer stuff, so <laughs> yeah. you're a terrible person for bringing this up. Uh, or I, ju- I just want to point out to the public, too, that developers need to sell their product, and so don't think that they don't want to beat out other developers with a similar product at a better price. 
Nope. That's the way the market nope. works. Nope. Nope. That's not how the market oh, works. Okay. Right? If you've looked at phones, <laughs> you will see since it's a, that, that anyone can purchase any phone. You don't have to own land or anything like that. You can even swap them out and go to different com- uh, companies that all of them have raced to the bottom. And all of these phones don't work and are shitty. Oh, and that's me. how it works. You know, the thing about the iPhone 11 is like, it doesn't I, don't work if, at all? I don't know if you know this, but like I have three different cameras here. The kind of photos, if you want to follow me on Fish Angler, you'll see all kinds of amazing photos of me just holding trout. Yeah. Very happy. It's a, it's a catchy show. Yeah. Catchy <laughs> show. Wow. That was good. <laughs> catchy with Psycho. Okay. On average, these requirements account for 9.1% of the price of the lot. And 2.3% of the final house price. See, we just keep on adding, right? OSHA is responsible for labor safety standards. State or local governments may have safety standards as well. Safety of construction workers is important. And there's a broad level of support of variety of safety rules. However, NAHB has criticized particular standards for attempting to regulate risks that don't really exist in residential construction. Sprinklers imposing costs significantly greater than needed to ensure worker safety or accomplishing little beyond driving up record-keeping costs. I have some problems with the building department. Not really. Way, way, way less. The oh, sprinkler one is, is a claw. Okay. There's two big issues with this that I feel like a lot of pushback. Health, safety, and welfare. Planning department does nothing with that. That is all the building department. So planning department doesn't need to do the anything. The only thing the planning department does regarding that is ADA ramps. Um, and accessibility on a site. Sure. You could easily but, hand but, that over. You could hand sure. that over. Sure. 100%. The, the, and I'll tell you what I think they are useful for. The second thing is design standards. They want to have these design standards, blah, 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 blah. I don't think people... I can't emphasize the point enough. True competition will lead to good design standards because... If you don't have competition, that's how you can get away with skimming and doing the least amount possible. Doing the least amount, right? I've looked at multiple like bigger projects, like, hey, what if we did what if we became, you know, more bigger developments and do housing? And one of the and I've talked to you some about these ideas like not doing drywall, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And the inside house, outhouse. Yep. One of the things, though, is like it's very hard to compete with the big guys who have great deals on shower tubs, all this other stuff. Like they get amazing. They basically get re- uh, distribution co- uh, yeah, prices yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than the retail yeah. costs, right? And it's like, wow, that's steep competition. I We need to bring our game hard, hardcore to beat we them We better out. be insanely efficient. Yep. <clears throat> so that's the big point. That's the bi- And then what the planning department should do, which I feel is actually legit is like okay please focus on where's electrical where's gas uh where's plumbing coming what are the distances are all the spaces correct there sidewalks water they do they do have to deal with water and drainage and all that stuff i wish they would just make it way more efficient um the way that they deal with it but like everything else how how does that take that long for them to do that the final figure we're going to get to adds all these up, okay? So although reported less often than other regulatory costs incurred during development, 58.3% of developers said that complying with OSHA and other labor standards added to their costs. On average, these standards account for 1.8% of the price of the lot and 0.5% of the final house price. Even when regulation imposes no direct costs, it can have a financial impact if it delays the development process. If nothing else, it takes longer to develop and sell a lot. Interest on a development loan will typically accrue. And these are very high dollars, right? So you got to, I mean, people are spending millions and millions of dollars on land. Land is so expensive, especially in Boulder County. Uh, The vast majority of developers, uh, 95.9% said complying with regulations typically caused a delay. In these cases, the average, the delay averaged roughly six months. Boy, that's a long time. Across all lots using the interest rate and other assumptions described in Appendix 1, NAHB calculated that the pure cost of this delay, i.e. the cost of the delay if the regulation imposed no other costs, on average accounts for 1.4% of the price of a lot and a 4.4% uh, of the final house price. Last paragraph here. Every developer in the NAHB survey reported experiencing some type of regulatory cost. Added together, the development regulatory costs 
captured by the survey account for 41.9% of the price of a lot. That is a lot. So two, two things on this. I want to get to the cost. It, it just like instantly made your land almost 50% more expensive. Last thing. And 10.5% of the final house price. Just before you break ground. Let me repeat that. And 10.5 of the final... 10.5% of the final house price. That is a lot of money. Yep. So you can probably, you probably know who I'm talking about. I was talking to a developer that we've known for years. I said, how do you think about money when you're developing? Mm-hmm. Right? So there's three to four tiers and it's on, and it's based off of level of risk, right? The, I'll give you the, the safest is everything's through the building department. Everything's through the planning department. You own the land. All you have to do, do is construct it. Banks will take over three to 5%. Three to six percent. They'll take that. Yep. They'll take yep. that. Yep. Right? Exactly. What's the highest risk? You you don't even know what you can build. You don't have any approval whatsoever. You're just starting. You're paying the architects, the engineers, and securing the land. <clears throat> so if the lease risk is three to six percent, how much is that money someone gonna loan you that money for if you're doing these big developments? What what do you think the percentage is? Five. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Two I'm just four, throwing it out there. Two to four times the money. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So if it's a, if it's it's $100,000, yeah. and honestly, you might lose it because unless you can sell, you can probably sell the land, but you can't sell back the fees for all those architects and engineers. If they're putting down $100,000, and this is the low end, they're probably putting two hundred dollars or $300,000, they expect a three two five x return on that money. Because you work through that, okay, that's solved. Um, the other thing why the bank will take so much low too is because normally they're only loaning 75%. Yeah. But then that's approved. <clears throat> now you got to pay the first 25%, you know, uh, money-wise. Yeah. Well, that might be at uh, 12 to 18%. Sure. Then you get to the bank. Then you get to your 3 to 5%. So <clears throat> going back, all of this time and money. Yeah is at a multiple of a return from investors of three to four percent that add that yeah, on top three to four add that on top there you go pretty tough so uh do we have a solution for this well i think my the reason why we started this conversation today is i was involved and invited on a panel like that and i think you have to as much as i don't um at this point in my life like really involving myself with politics this is an area, and I Al would echo the same thing as like that's an area where you can have a, a difference, right? Voting aside, your voice speaking out, just trying to be positive about it with the planning and zoning department, and if they're receptive to it, please take advantage of it. Uh, I highly recommend that you start um, getting involved with if you if you're unaware of this. There's a there's a bunch of groups popping up all over right now, and it's called YIMBY, uh, Y I M B. If you want good development, meaning affordable, so we get out of this housing crisis, you need to get involved with uh, a YIMBY group. There's two I just looked up right now. I just typed in YIMBY, Y-I-M-B-Y. There's a New York YIMBY, NewYorkYIMBY.com. There's a Denver YIMBY, YIMBYDenver.org. And uh, check those places out. Uh, Market Urbanism Report by Scott Beyer. He was on the podcast once. I should have him back on again. Uh, go follow them. Be in that. Check out that group on Facebook. They are doing like some of the best work in yep. the world. Uh, the other thing too, I I think you should advocate for a competition with with the planning review process because the yes. building department, if you could ever get them to compete with a safe build to whatever build right, um, but still they're not, they're not the problem. They're not the problem because <clears throat> here's you're talking to them. I, I'm sure you brought up this point. I don't know if they know how huge this one point is, right? Everyone's heard this advice um, from a business perspective. Chunking. Chunk your items so that Lance Psycho can be efficient, Mm -hmm. right? So that means chunk your email, chunk out time to do a project, stuff like that. That's okay if you need to actually produce something or get something done. That will make you more efficient. But what if your job is about communication and coordination so that other people are efficient? And that's what a planning department or a leader of a business is. Chunking then takes your 10%, like you are 10% better because you chunked it. Mm-hmm. And it comes at the cost of screwing everyone else over. Mm. And here's why. <clears throat> if, if the people that are working upstairs 
only check their email like honestly twice in a day or three times because they're doing a lot of work, that's not going to affect too much, right? Yeah. But if they need an answer from me, if they need an answer from you, you delaying, me delaying is going to affect. So all these planning departments will say, get everything in by Thursday and then next Thursday we'll let you know. So that's a week, right? Next they let you know, oh, you needed one, one, one or two things. Great. I wish I would have known that a yeah, week ago. Because now right? I lost a week. Right. Then you send it again and then they say the same thing. Mm-hmm. They say, hey, these one or two things. Or they you send them an email. I don't know how they do this. <clears throat> they go, um, hey, automated response. We'll get back to you in the next 15 days. Like, what are you talking yeah. about for an email? Next 15 days. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. On the heels of that, I think we have something related. Okay. Uh, this is called the high price of affordable housing. And I, I was just fascinated by these numbers, right? So this article's from April 21st, 2017. Yep. Which yeah. seems for some reason, it seems like a long time ago, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's, it's not. not. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, San Francisco, California, um, they're having problems because they have an affordable housing budget. I'm sure that every development pays into it. Um, they have $400 million, you know, at least in this, in this one state funding for affordable housing. Um, but who is, oh, the governor, Jerry Brown. He's probably not the governor anymore, right? No, Newsom? <laughs> no. Um, we've got to bring down the cost structure of housing and not just find ways to subsidize it. Because here are the numbers. San Francisco, the project is called 1950 Mission Street. Clocks in at more than 600000 per unit. That is expensive. That Numbers aren't getting any lower. Candlestick Point development will cost eight twenty-five dollars each. St. Paul. St. Paul, which is no San Francisco, right? Cool city. like it. It's not even as cool as Minneapolis. Maybe it is. No, people like it because it's cooler. Because it's, smaller, it's getting gritt- edgier. It's grittier. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Six sixty-five per unit. Wow. And I want to touch on a couple things. So there's all these regulatory things. Lance, if you scroll down, you and then go into the comments. It's going to be, it's Dale Cooney. He's about eight comments down. Keep scrolling down. Oh, scrolling I'm sorry. Dale, yep. Cooney, Dale, Dale Cooney, Dale Cooney, Dale Cooney, Dale Cooney. Yep, there you go. All right. Having worked in affordable housing, one issue is they always that always troubled me was all the strings that came attached to public funding. And I'm paraphrasing, but those strings include environmental efficiency that exceeds code requirements, green certificates, not lead but similar, art, diverse construction workforce, oh God. local hiring, prevailing minimum wage, Blah, blah. So I don't think any of these are bad things. Except but, for the mandate on diversity. Like, come on. Uh, the, I've just, this, the whole idea that we don't live in a meritocracy anymore blows my mind. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah. And the, I could go on a side. Hire, hire the best people regardless. That's yeah. it. And also don't try to be diversified and then be racist. And I mean it in this way. This is on the Entree Architect community, which is a great forum on, on Facebook. Um, they were talking about it. And one guy said, he goes, <clears throat> as a black student, because they were talking about this, we had an Asian director and he took all the black students. There was like three of them. And he said, for your thesis, you'll be under the black professors. There was one black professor. And he goes, that guy didn't align with anything like I wanted to do. Everyone knows professors like some like mixed use, some like rural, whatever. He's like, basically like I, um, we dropped each other, like not formally Wow. because of it. I was like, oh, that was like racist to just assume that like you should put like that's actually segregationist like that it is 100 percent. so just be aware of that holy cow don't be so woke that you're stupid there's a level of woke that is just over the line yeah for sure um anyways i'm like hey electric cars that drive themselves is awesome kind of expensive (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean i would know yeah so (laughs) if you're trying to do affordable housing again not arguing for shitty housing, right? Um, actually, it's crazy. Like what, some of my concepts that could save money, I'm sure other people have concepts, um, can only be done if you use like the 2006 code, right? It's like, man, was it really that bad in 2006? I know. And especially if you upgrade the power grid. Did all of a sudden we have a ton of houses starting on fire previous to 2012? No. no. It was a lobbying group that came in and said, we need to sprinkle every house in America, that new house. And here we are with that extra burden cost. Right. Ridiculous. But, but 
if you're trying to solve all the environmental issues at the point of construction, it's it's like um, law of diminishing returns. It's like, hey, if you did that at the point of production, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have to spend all that additional cost. You get what I'm saying? Like, Yeah. 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 So, uh, oh, oh. so there's that. And then just just a heads up to to everyone trying to build affordable housing in in dense places. Yeah. It's semi-feudal for one reason. The not in my backyard and like you're trying to do something dense and that leads to complexity. And we already know complexity leads to cost and time delays. I believe two episodes ago or one episode ago we went over that. Yep. Another factor. The third factor, which is the most obvious, but maybe the, I don't know. I don't know why I can't get through people's head. It took me a while. When you do these dense things, you use more expensive materials because the structure has to be stronger. You use concrete podium. You use steel. You use stuff that cost more. So the units cost more. Undeniable first principle fact. First principle fact there. So you are making, you are using materials that cost more and then you're adding complexity to it. It's going to cost more. It might not be the best place to make affordable housing. I'm, and, but you can decry, well, how can affordable housing people, you know, live and work in the places that live in the places that they work? I don't know, but I also know don't go fishing in a rock quarry. I can tell you, you're not going to catch much. He I knows. mean, maybe a rock. Hard to clean. Uh, Hard to eat, I heard. On that note, though, about density, I've had a, uh, I would encourage everybody, if they don't believe us, uh, go to just Google Monday morning coffee with Randall O'Toole, O T O O L E. I had him on the podcast uh, earlier this year in March. And basically, he laid it out for us um, about how, I think it was actually last year, just published later, The uh, he makes a really good case, and he backs it up with numbers about how literally, sprawl, sprawl, I know everybody hates that word, but like, if you want to get to the cheapest kind of housing there could be, most cost-effective, sprawl is still the way to go. And it's actually what people prefer. So he did, he does, a, he, he went through this study that he did where he did this survey, and he's like, People on the surface say they want to live in these dense developments, but once we kind of gave them um, options between dense and open, more open space, especially with the pandemic now, they preferred. Well, and I can hear a lot of people in their 20s disagreeing, and that's fine. And I do believe that you want to live in density, and that's cool. Sure. Right? But there's a spectrum of people. Um Meaning like once you get in your 30s, stuff like that. Again, like why aren't we attack attacking... One of the main concerns, which is sprawl, again, they say unsustainable. Let's hit it at the source, like fusion power, fission power, mm-hmm. solar panel. Like, let's hit this at its source. Exactly. Even- if we're not, like, if you're not, if you're going to come to me and talk to me about sustainability and we aren't talking about nuclear, um, we're not talking anymore. Yeah. But Long- another thing that they'll say, you know, uh, drive and commute and you're polluting that way. Um, by 2030, half the cars being sold will be electric. That's just a prediction by me, and yeah. I'm pretty good. Well, I'm I'm being, I don't know. <laughs> I'm too. <laughs> I think that that's gonna be right. So, sure. holy, cow, you're you're solving that problem if you can get the production right. The you know pollution at production. There you go. Even though all those mines are pretty polluting. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Um. One podcast that I recommend everybody listens to, besides Mark's podcast, uh, the Entree Architect podcast, is Peter Schiff's, the Peter Schiff podcast. I listen to Peter Schiff uh, every week. He usually does two episodes. As far as this is, Peter Schiff is a guy who predicted the uh, housing crisis, the housing crash in 2007, 2009. He predicted all of that. He gets how he got famous. Um, and I believe he is correct with his uh, economics and sort of policy opinions. He brought this up and it blew my mind. And I actually shared this with my realtor wife this morning. I don't know if you've heard this, but there's a survey that came out. Uh, the title of the article is Survey. Worst U.S. home buying conditions since 1982. What did we ha- what happened in 1982, Al? Do you remember 1982? My parents do. Your parents do. And they talked to you about the crazy interest rates they yes. paid on their first mortgage, right? 
Uh, so the last time Americans, from the article, the last time the Americans were turned, uh, uh, this, were this turned off by the U.S. housing market, borrowing costs were over five times the current rate. The share of people who now think, uh, who think now is a good time to buy a home fell in September, it is October 1st today, fell in September to, tw- to 29%. That is, a, that is not a lot of positivity, Al. No. Extending the plunge from March when the proportion was much more twice much much more than twice as high data from the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey shows it's also the smallest chunk of housing is a good buy respondent since 1982 back then the average for a 30 year fixed mortgage rate topped 15% that compares with today's rate of 2.86% according to Freddie Mac um so the figures uh, highlight how property price appreciation is rattled up prospective buyers and more than offset the bright side of cheap borrowing right so i went over this we went over this in detail like why aren't we talking about inflation what are we, why aren't we talking about the crux of the inflation uh and and what it means for everything you're doing prices have skyrocketed amid low inventory as americans compete for space with year over year gains in previously owned single family homes exceeding 20 percent surpassing the inflation-fueled increases seen in the late 1970s and early 1980s, according to the National Association of Realtors. So much for transitory inflation. Yeah. You also, um, time delays lead to less competition because if you're searching for a house now, you can't wait six months till the next one gets approved. Yep. Yep. Uh, the article goes on to kind of finish out here. Buying conditions declines were due to complaints about high prices and consumers expect inflation to rise 4.7% over the coming year, matching the highest since 2008. So, uh, <clears throat> although, last thing, although declining living standards were still more frequently cited by older, poor, and less educated households over the past few months, complaints about rising prices have increased among younger, richer, and more educated households. So it's affecting everybody um, at this point. Hedge your bets. How do you, how do you, uh, honestly, there's so many issues with the planning department and all that. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be turned around, but but uh, precedents would say that it's just going to grow more bureaucratic. Yeah. Uh, your only solution is competition. How do you tell them that? Because that means, like, to them, that means they'll lose their job. Maybe I you know. have to say, so I know someone at a city not going to name it. But, they it, left but it's the, competition with everything. Right. But they left the, the billing department. Like, oh, where are you going? They went to Safe Built. Right. We're like, oh, awesome. Hopefully we'll see you on, on one of our projects. Right. Because they said, hey, it was great working with you. Sorry, I'm leaving alone. Mm-hmm. Some other place. Um, hey, <laughs> planners, you need competition. Somehow you need to find a, a couple forms to be in competition for. And know what? You might actually work with them. Like you might be the one working with them and you might like it better because you might not have to apply. I'm sure they don't love all these things. I'm sure they don't like when that one planner and was just rattling off all this nonsense. I was like, oh, man, that cannot be good for you, too. Yeah, yeah, whatsoever, nope. exactly. Um, nope, nope, I have a link. You can play the link. You have a link. Yep. Oh, Let's, okay. There's no Nick Reeds? This is this is uh, Nick Rogan. Okay, here we go. As soon as you give politicians power, any kind of power that didn't exist previously... If they can figure out a way to force you into carrying something that lets you enter businesses or lets you do this or lets businesses open, historically, they are not going to give that power up. They find new reasons to use I'll be back. We have to protect those freedoms at all costs, whether you agree with people's choices or not, because it is the foundation that this country was founded on. Freedom. This idea of freedom. There's so many people that think it's frivolous, it's not important, it's not the main thing that we should be focused on, but it is the literal structure that allows this country to be so fucking amazing. Every single country that's ever existed other than the United States, up until 1776, every fucking country that has ever existed was run by dictators, all of them. This is the first experiment in self-government that actually worked, and it created the greatest superpower the world's ever known. It created the greatest cultural machine, the greatest machine of art and creativity and innovation right fucking here. And how did it do that? It did it through freedom. 
And as soon as you see something, anything that comes along and inhibits your freedom, you should be very cautious of that thing. You should be very suspicious. Because anything that comes along that can inhibit your freedom is, by definition, anti-American. Okay. Why Why is freedom so important? And And I think people say it as a blanket thing. America, freedom, we have it. Yeah. Why it's so important. So I'm listening to this audiobook. It's called A Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century. Um, and one of the things that, that they point out that I link to freedom is that we are born generalists. Mean you, meaning like there's, you were not born an architect. The next guy was not born a plumber. The next guy was not born a space engineer. Mm-hmm. Anything like that. So we're born a generalist, but we develop into specialists. Okay. Lance, you know, architecture, fishing, um, gardening, gardening, right? Couple other things, right? Yep. You do not know how to recreate your engine in your vehicle. I am. T- I can. I. You know what? Honestly, I could change my tires. I could probably change my oil, oil. Maybe. And that is about it. Yep. Uh, hey, when the power grid goes down, do you know how to connect everything else back together to make it work? I really don't. I'm hoping the solar panels come through and we can at least keep the food frozen. Sure, right? <laughs> do you know anything about aerospace, how planes work, or spaceships? I usually ask Al to tell me what, <laughs> how that works. Do you? And know, he doesn't even know. Do you know anything? Exactly. Do you know anything about if the internet went down or? computer systems went down well, how to as fix a native that? american one of the backups i have ready is smoke signals okay so lance knows about three things right <clears throat> we become specialists mm-hmm. and our ability to work with other specialists is what makes us work it makes and society once, it makes society work that, yep. that that's kind of the core of society right i mean there's going to be this give and take and trade and we yep. we're trading skills yep so the glue between us, all those other things that Lance can't do, me too, right? I'm just using him because he's right here. Yep. And all the things Lance can do is the freedom and the opportunity to work together. So limiting that, you're limiting the ability of society to create, right? And here's an example relating it back to, to architecture, building, and planning and all that. Cities have a higher economic output than rural places. Yep. And the reason for that is the freedom... And the opportunities of different jobs because you can travel to multiple of them in the same city, right? And then multiple people are doing multiple things so that you can collaborate and make things happen, right? So while we're saying, hey, suburbia is great, I still want the freedom to drive and connect with all these other people. And that's on a different subject about road policies. But that's why it's so important because we are born generalists and we develop into specialists and we need to have the freedom to work together yep freedom of association you got it next up we have the freedom to maybe get some answers correct or incorrect let's bring down the crew for are jeopardy let's do it question number one this is the irc and it is wood stud walls okay a board hole maximum diameter is what percentage of a stud's depth? Mm. Okay. Is it A, 33%, B, 40%, C, 50%, D, 25%? So you're boring a hole through a wood stud. <clears throat> the depth of the stud is either three and a half, five and a half inches. What percentage can a board hole max be? Good a, question. 33, B, 40%, C, 50%. D, 25%. And Ross already got an answer over there? I guess. Ah, I guess. All right. A, 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 B, B. Mark doesn't count. Uh, B is correct at 40%. (laughs) So I don't know if you knew that or just guessed. I I was going to do 33, yeah. Yep, yep. For a notch. Yeah. Yep. Um, Okay. If If a board hole is between 40 and 60%, which is larger than 40 to 60%, what is the common remedy? Is it A, to place a metal strap over the board hole six inches past each side of the hole? Is it B, to put blocking over the hole six inches past each side of the hole? Is it C, to double up the studs? Or is it D, to replace the stud? Mm. 
what do you do? Someone calls you. Polly D calls you. Hey, holes are too big. <laughs> and yeah, and I'm gone. What do you tell them? What do you tell them? Good question. Holes, holes too big, but not excessively too big. It's just like maybe 20% too big. Yeah, possibly. Okay, you got it? Guess. Three. B. B. C. D. C. <clears throat> the correct answer is C, is you can double the stud. The hole can still be sixty per, up to 60%, and you're good to go. Good call. Is there a difference if, between load-bearing and mount? Well, I guess it's just for load-bearing I believe this is load. And what I would tell them, too, is I would say tell them to put uh, two nails, um, at least uh, some 16-penny nails every 24 inches, every 16 inches on center vertically, like to tie them together. That's oh. what I, I would just add that on. That, that's me. Yep. Just yep. nail them together. Yeah. All right. Uh, number three. What refers to the contour and natural terrain of the Earth? This is a literal architecture question. A, is it geology? B, topography? C, geography? D, earthology? Ooh, say D, please. Someone say D. Someone say D, yeah. <laughs> All right. Fresh guess is C, a D. What do we got? B, 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 B. The correct answer is B, topography. That was a layup. What do we got for scores so far? Last one here. We got one, two, three. Whoa, let's hit it. I think this it. might be two in a row for Bailey if she wins, right? Wow. Killing it over here. This refers to the material. Number four, this refers to the material that is found in a certain area. Is it A, geography, B, stones, C, geology, D, topography, E, stone circle? It's E. It is E. You want it to be E. Uh, a, geography, B, stones. C, geology, D, topography, E, stone circle. What do we got? C, 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 C. That correct answer is C. I believe Bailey is the winner. Awesome. Where are we going to eat? Bojo's. Uh, that's it for me. Take us out. Uh, if you like this episode, please share it with a friend, family member, colleague, your dog, uh, whatever it takes. Leave us a five-star review if you're listening terrestrially and make sure if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, leave a comment. We'll see you next week.